You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 131, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SCC, and joining me for this episode of Gators Breakdown is the founder of ReadingReaction.com, one of our partnership sites for Gators Breakdown. And that's where you can find Will Miles and his articles. You can find him on Twitter as well at Will Miles SCC. Uh, and guys, if you're if you're watching live on YouTube, yes, uh, Will looks like he's under construction there behind him. <laughs> yeah, well, last time I had to move out of my basement, I got made fun of for looking like I was in an industrial closet. So, uh, so this time I just decided that I would I would let everybody see what's going on in my life up here and the construction <laughs> that's going on. And the uh, luckily the internet connection's still good, so we can do this. But uh, but hey, it'll it'll be nice. Hopefully, I'll have some Gator stuff up on the walls once uh, once this thing's done. Should be should be about three or four weeks, and then we'll have everything set up. So, yeah, I, I do remember that, and uh, and all the all the feedback you got from looking like uh, in a desolate region. Hey, you know we we uh, we are uh, slowly building our nest here. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a good time. It's it's something that we've been thinking about doing for a couple of couple of years now, and we finally had the money saved up and uh, we're able to do it. So hopefully everybody gets a kick out of seeing all the studs behind me. <laughs> the funny thing is that also we, we when uh, me and my wife is, uh, and daughter moved into our new house uh, late last fall. Um, I was like, well, the the first room that has to get done is is the office slash gator room because I got the podcast going on. So. Yeah, well, clearly, I just have no shame and, and, and don't care. So, so, so we'll, you know, I'm wearing the white T-shirt. I got the studs up in the back. I'm, I'm, I'm a casual, casual uh, Wednesday for me. Well, this, look, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. We get a lot of YouTube views as well, but uh, also most people listen to the audio version, so they have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, that's fine. We're we're real people, Dave. We're that's, real that, people. That, so, right. uh, but since uh, hey, but since we're talking about this, now everybody's gonna go flock to the YouTube and just kind of see. Hey, driving the numbers. That's what this is about. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and before we dive in, Gators Breakdown listeners, you can re- remember, you can find all your episodes on newsforjacks.com. And as always, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. And if you're watching live, that's where you're getting it right now. Whichever way you prefer, that's where you can find Gators Breakdown. Also on social media, on Twitter, and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And do us a favor when you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. Um, so, I, and I guess I'll say, yeah, Bill Sykes, of course, not joining us this episode. We hope to get him back uh, next week, but uh, we'll see how that goes. And I know Will said that we actually started on time this time because Bill's not here with us. <laughs> man, man, throw me under the bus there, Dave. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I was the first one to bring it up. So. <laughs> No, it'll be good to have him back. It's always good to get his opinions, but uh, it's going to be fun, just you and I tonight. Absolutely. Uh, Will, it's pretty obvious the first order uh, of business for, you know, we can kind of move past recruiting for a, a little while. We know 2019 stuff's coming up soon, but uh, we'll talk a little bit of, you know, football uh, and, and kind of some stuff on the field. Uh, but the first order for uh, for Dan Mullen, his first order of business is, you know, given his reputation is fixing the quarterback position 
at the University of Florida. Uh, he's going to have his work cut out for him um, his first season as he has to sort through what Felipe Franks has on tape, uh, a true freshman quarterback and Emory Jones coming in, maybe a switching a position with your guy, Kadarius Toney, uh, or, or giving or, or going with players that, that um, have been on the roster but haven't played at all, Kyle Trask and Jake Allen. They've yet to take a snap in a live game. There's a lot that uh, out there for Dan Mullen to figure out in a short amount of time. But I think confidence has to be high in Mullen that he can get this thing figured out. Yeah, you know, they, he had some success at Mississippi State. I wouldn't say that it was overwhelming success. I think Dak Prescott is certainly a uh, an example of what he can do. I think Nick, Nick Fitzgerald made the offense very effective. But if you look at quarterback rating, which is how I tend to – tend to grade out quarterbacks. Prescott was really the guy, you know, had two seasons up over 150. And typically you're talking 130 is kind of average, but he did have a year with Chris Relf at 141, Tyler Russell at 135. You know, the average quarterback ranking for him over his tenure there was 133 and a half. And I tell you what, we would have killed for that. I mean, Felipe Franks was at 113 last year. So, um, so I, I think we can anticipate there's going to be some improvement in the quarterback position this year just from having Mullen in and then uh, and then certainly an influx of talent as well. I mean, with Emory Jones coming in and uh, and, and, you know, having having more competition at that position. Yeah, it's probably going to be more of a progression type of thing. You know, I mean, I, I went back and looked at his first year uh, in 2009 when uh, you know, he had to, uh, you know, after left, he left the 2008 season after Florida won the national championship and went to Mississippi State. And Tyson Lee uh, was the quarterback. And the stats aren't pretty <laughs> at all 130 completions out of 221 attempts, uh, 1,444 yards, four touchdowns, four interceptions. Only 74 rushes for 175 yards. I mean, only average 2.4 yards uh, there. You would know, have to hope Mullen can get more out of the quarterback position in his first year at Florida than when he got at Mississippi State. Of course, walked into a, a roster nowhere near uh, as talented as what Florida has uh, and what Mullen was walking to there in, into there at Mississippi State. But you know, g- going by you know the the first year stats at 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 Mississippi State, not having a quarterback, you know, of course he didn't handpick at all. Uh, Emory Jones is actually a quarterback he's handpicked, uh, more suited for his system. And we mentioned Felipe Franks and has some game experience, but not necessarily known as uh, as a quarterback. Dan, the type of quarterback Dan Mullen has worked with in the past. But if you go back and look at those first year stats, and I got some other quarterbacks here, you know, who what what they did in their first full seasons under Dan Mullen, but you know, it didn't start off too well at, at Mississippi State for him. So it, it, it hopefully start on the, off on a better foot uh, here at Florida. Yeah, so, you know, he went 5-7 and seven in his first year at Mississippi State. A lot of that was tied to the quarterback. A lot of that was tied to the talent that had been brought in by Sylvester Croom <laughs> prior to him arriving. And I think everyone will agree that irrespective of what you think about McElwain as a recruiter, the talent level at Florida is much higher than the talent level when he took over at Mississippi State. Now, certainly Mullen upgraded the talent level at Mississippi State, and the hope mm-hmm. is he's going to be able to do that at Florida as well. And we've talked extensively about what this uh, what this transition recruiting class means for that. You know, the other thing is he moved pretty quickly on from Tyson Lee. So Chris Ralph was in the next year and sort of got his guy in and, and ran for 713 yards in 2010 as the, as the main quarterback. Um, you know, and, and in 2009, they really leaned on Anthony Dixon. So he ran for almost 1,400 yards yeah. and averaged 5.4 yards per carry. And, and quite honestly, that's more than Florida's backs averaged this past year. I think Pirine was somewhere in the 4-3-4-4. Um, Jordan Scarlett's averaged about five yards a carry for his career. So, you know, if, if they can find a way to get the running backs averaging five and a half or six yards a carry – it's going to take a lot of pressure off of the quarterback and you're not going to need Tim Tebow back there. You're just going to need somebody who can execute the offense and get them into the right play. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hit on that later too. Uh, talking, talking about that, but you did mention 2010 that was Chris Rell's first season under Dan Mullen, 129 completions out of 220 attempts, uh, almost 1800 yards passing 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. And as you mentioned, he had 194 rushes for, 713 yards, you know, not great stats through the air with uh, uh, 129 completions out of 220 attempts, almost 1,800 yards. But that's when you started to see the quarterback's legs come in, come more into play uh, there. So you had to go to 2012 to get, to get Tyler Russell um, when he was quarterback. It was his first full season under Dan, uh, Dan Mullen there, and this was the, the passing quarterback uh, from his time at Mississippi State. 
231 completions for 394, uh, 231 completions out of 394 attempts, 2,897 yards, so almost a 2,900-yard uh, passer, 24 touchdowns, only 10 interceptions, and yeah, we only have 43 carries for minus five yards, Will. So <laughs> as I mentioned, he was the the passer of the group. And what what that let leads you to believe and what that lets you know is, you know, Dan Mullen, you know, and he's mentioned it in, in his press conference and he's mentioned it numerous times. He doesn't – he can tailor his offense. Now, we know it works better when there's a, quarter, a running quarterback behind center. When you have Tyler Russell throwing for you know, almost 400 attempts and almost 3,000 yards – you know, 24 touchdowns, Florida fans would kill for that right now. They would take it in a heartbeat. But it also lets you know that he can have success. Dan Mullen can have success. It may not be his best success, but he can have success with a quarterback that has a live arm. Yeah, they also went 8-5 and five that year, which, you know, for Mississippi State is a pretty good year. And so it wasn't as if they were airing it out in garbage time and Russell was putting up all sorts of stats after they'd fallen behind by three touchdowns or anything like that. The other thing is, it's not as if Florida has Luke Del Rio coming back um, as the quarterback. I mean, you know, you look at Appleby, you look at Del Rio, those are pocket passers. Those are not guys you would expect to run a read option offense or an offense where the quarterback has to run on an extensive basis. But Felipe Frank showed last year that he has the ability to run a little bit. Kyle Trask has showed during some of the spring games that he's got the ability. Certainly my guy, Kadarius Tony has, has some serious wheels. Emory Jones, he ran a lot in high school, and that's what he'll probably be expected to do here. Um, you know, there, there really isn't a guy that – the only guy I can imagine who might come in who who can't run the type of offense Mullen would prefer running is, is Jake Allen. And so, you know, I don't – I mean, Jake Allen was a fine player in high school. I don't know that he necessarily projects as an excellent one in college. I certainly don't think he's at the top of the depth chart. And so, um, you know, maybe he'll learn that during spring practice. But, and if he does, then Mullen has shown the ability to adjust. But I don't know that he's going to have to adjust based on the quarterbacks that are on the roster right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, even as you said, if he does go with Felipe Franks, there's a nothing with the quarterback run game. I don't think I don't think we're going to see a quarterback that you know goes into the line of scrimmage you know time after time again and tries to pound the opposing defensive line but I think there is enough there to, to keep some defenses honest uh there so 2013 it was supposed to be uh Tyler Russell show again he got hurt in the opener uh Dak Prescott wasn't supposed to start most of the season but he did after Russell was hurt in the opener versus Oklahoma State uh but so that means I have to move forward to 2014 to get Prescott's first full season there so 2014 he had 244 completions out of 396 attempts 3449 yards this was the big you know 2014 uh mississippi state season where they were ranked number one in the season so uh 210 carries for 986 yards so you know there's a telling stat i'll get deeper into that uh, in a second and, and who it compares to but in his first full season dak prescott 244 completions, 396 attempts, 3,449 yards, 210 carries, 986 yards. There was those stats again. Uh, and Will, as I mentioned, once once you can get the throw game going and the and the run game going, where you don't know where the threat's coming from, that's when Dan Mullen's offenses are going to work its best. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, if you look at the touchdown numbers for Prescott, just rushing. It was 13 in 2013, 14 in 2014, and 10 in 2015. I mean, there's been a clear emphasis by Mullen ever since 2013 to run the quarterback and particularly to run him in the red zone. And that, I think, actually does bode well for Kyle Trask because he's 6'4", 230. And he's the kind of guy that you can think of. What was the guy's name at Oklahoma? Was it Blake Bell? Oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I kind of see that maybe as the role that Trask might play within the offense because you can envision, you know, sort of what the Jets should have done with Tebow, <laughs> where you have a, you know, when it's when it's first and goal from the three, you bring in a guy who's capable of throwing the ball, so that threat is there, but you're not necessarily exposing your starting quarterback to the to the to the brunt of the punishment he's going to take, and I think that's going to be key because whoever they decide to go with as the starter. I don't know that they're going to be able to necessarily take him out in the fourth quarter of blowouts to give somebody extra reps. I think they're going to have to give that guy the reps in the game. And so they'll be exposed if there's an injury. So I think maybe that's, that's somewhere where we might see Trask really prove valuable for Florida in 2018. You know, we've talked about, you know, using dual quarterbacks like Mullen did in the past at Florida, but 
I didn't really think of using Trask as a dual, you know, as using two quarterbacks in, in, in any type of system. But you're right, you know, Mullen it gets creative at times, and you're right in the red zone. That could be where Trask makes his makes his name uh, for himself. Uh, you know, if he doesn't transfer, if he doesn't get the starting job or or, or whatever. But you know, he may he may have. He may can be enough threat in the passing game to where defenses can't solely focus on him, uh, and uh, I, I like that idea. I didn't really, that didn't really cross my mind, Will. So hopefully, you know, maybe in the spring, well, we see something like that um, uh, there. So uh, uh, you know, quarterback that some some uh, you know there was an article kind of released this week of how uh, Nick Fitzgerald could be. I think it was from Saturday Down South where uh, Nick could Nick Fitzgerald be the best rushing quarterback in SEC history. <laughs> so uh, people should go uh, and read that and see if they agree. We know Cam Newton, Tim Tebow uh, there. But you go to his first full season, it was in 2016, 196 completions out of 361 attempts, 2,423 yards, 195 carries for 1,375 yards. So uh, Nick Fitzgerald even runs the ball uh, a good bit, 195 carries there. Uh, in his first full season, and you know, you saw, uh, uh, and he was, you know, been has been he's been named a couple times as a, you know a numerous uh, Heisman, uh, you know, dark horse Heisman candidate. Uh, when when you know preseason magazines and preseason coverage comes out, you see Fitzgerald's name uh, on that list. But it's just another quarterback, and we've seen the recent success Mississippi State has had um, in, in the last couple of years, and a lot of it is due to Nick Fitzgerald and his running ability. Yeah, I think the Heisman hype is probably going a little bit far for Fitzgerald. So I he's said, average. I said, I said dark horse. <laughs> <laughs> so he's at about he's he's at, he's gotten about fifty five percent as far as his completion percentage. His yeah. his quarterback ranking from two thousand sixteen was one twenty four. His quarterback ranking in twenty seven or rating in twenty seventeen was one seventeen. So he is a little bit better than what Felipe Franks did in, uh, in, in 2017, but not much better. The difference is, is that Franks did not run for many yards at all. And Fitzgerald's running for 1400 yards a year. And, and that makes a huge difference, right? When you're averaging seven yards a rush as a quarterback, and then you've got a running back in there, who's also averaging five or six yards a rush. So Eris Williams was 5.3 mm-hmm. yards per rush and then 4.5 yards per rush in 2016, 2017, having that one, two punch allows you to move the ball down the field and allows you to convert third downs and I think I think that's the kind of thing you know Florida had a lot of struggle a lot of struggles on third down third down and three there was no running play that they were going to run it was always a pass and it was almost always a pass to Brandon Powell and that won't be the case this year there will definitely be a little bit more uh, ingenuity I would expect but also there will be the option of running a quarterback and and so uh you know Fitzgerald is an interesting case because his passing skills are not really as I don't think his passing skills are really all that great, but his ability to run, his ability to make quick decisions has allowed Mississippi State to move the ball. One thing that would worry me there is, I guess, with him being able to run and being that big of a threat to run, you would hope his passing stats would be a little better because you would hope that his running threat would leave some open lanes in the in the passing game. You know, as we saw, you know, linebackers. Uh, you know, don't drop back in coverage because they're worried about the run. And so you have some guys, you know, crossing behind them um, as they're worried about the quarterback running. So, you know, it, it is interesting that he can still have as much success um, overall, even though he's not passing the balls. Well, I would, ex- I, you know, he's breaking it down like you did. I wouldn't expect him to have higher passing numbers just because of his of his large threat to run. Yeah, but this is where we go back to my old friend, the high school stats. And he averaged something like 44% completion percentage at high school. Now, granted, he was running a triple option offense. Um, yeah. So, you know, is it really representative? But I do think it's representative of the fact that he's not necessarily going to be the most accurate passer. And I think that's reflected in some of the things that you see. He's not going to fit it into tight spaces. And uh, to be quite honest, Mullen did a pretty good job of managing that. It's not as if he was throwing a whole lot of interceptions or anything like that. He had 21 touchdowns and 10 interceptions in 2016. He had 15 touchdowns and 11 interceptions in 2017. And again, those are statistics that Florida, quite honestly, is probably going to have to accept. I think those are the kind of ratios that we're going to see. I don't don't think that there's anybody on the roster who's probably going to come out and throw 35 touchdowns and three picks. I just don't think that there's anybody who's shown that ability yet, except for maybe my guy, but I'm not sure he's going to actually get an opportunity. So, you know. I'm going to keep stumping for him and people keep telling me I'm stupid, but, uh, <laughs> well, no, no, here, here's the thing, you know, I'm, uh, every Tuesday I'm up and I'm on 
uh, Bill King show up in Nashville. And Bill's even saying that he 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 thinks that Kadarius Tony should be either the number one or number two guy getting the reps when when spring practice comes around. You know, he 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 went back and looked and read back and researched what Kadarius Tony did in high school, and he he says Kadarius Tony is just electric with the ball in his hands, and he doesn't see any reason why Dan Mullen should not put him at quarterback in the spring to see what he can do. Well, I obviously agree, but. I'm I'm gonna go back soon because the the argument when I, I wrote an article maybe two or three months ago that talked about again Kadarius Tony should be the starter at least get an opportunity to be the starter in 2018, and the biggest criticism was well he can't really throw the ball. I don't think that's true. You go back and you look at the film, that's not what you see. So I'm sure there will be something coming up in the next month or two where I go back and look at some of the film. Not Hopefully not just the highlight tapes, but actually look at some of the things he does well, some of the things he doesn't do well, because I'm sure that you can find things that he doesn't do well as, all, as well. I mean, we've seen that with screen passes, right, where he just stuffed a screen pass right in the ground. But he only got two opportunities. He had a 50% completion percentage and average 25 yards to throw. Um, it's, a know, catch, I, it's a catch-22, and how I explained it is – all right, we were we slammed Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer for their inability to find a quarterback, to develop a quarterback. But then we're also going to same at the same time slam Kadarius Tony for not being an accurate passer. Well, you can't have it both ways. Was he, you know, was was it not looking good because of the coaching staff, or was it not looking good because of him, uh, of himself? So I think you know what we saw last year. And what we heard last year, you know, going through fall camp, and we heard the previews of how Tony was struggling throwing the ball. Maybe that offense wasn't really suited for him. We've we've seen that that offense did didn't cater to the the abilities uh, of the guys on the field. So I, I think if you get him in a, in a offense that's more suited for him, that he's more comfortable in mentally, it just may click. Well, and remember what I said. So Nick Fitzgerald in 2016 had a quarterback rating of 124.3. But he ran for 1,375 yards. And Mississippi State had a really, really good offense that year. And Fitzgerald, everybody was very, very impressed with what Fitzgerald was doing. So, um, you know, I, I don't think the 1,400 yards make a difference. Like they were, they were the 63rd best offense in 2016 for points per game. They were 51st in yards per play. They were 10th in yards per rush, and they were 112th in yards per pass. That might be what Florida's offense has to look like based on the experience that they have back there. But to your point and to Bill's point, um, having somebody who's electric back there makes up for a lot of those inconsistencies that you have on in throwing the ball. Now, I don't necessarily think that there's going to be a lot of inconsistencies in terms of throwing the ball. But even if you think he's not a really good thrower, you still got to believe that he's going to be able to put up some real yards in the running game. And like I said, if you can protect him in some of those short yardage situations, either with Emory Jones or with uh, or with Franks or Trask, well, now you don't have to expose him to injury, you know, banging into the line on third and one. Right. And the running game from the running backs itself. So and yep. we'll, get, we'll get into that a little bit. But here's one thing I did notice, Will. None of those guys under Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, none of them started the season as a true freshman quarterback. <laughs> so, you know, if Mullen goes that route with Emory Jones, it'd be new for him. It's, he, you know, not, now don't get me wrong. There was really a lot of opportunity for him to take, you know, to take advantage of that at Mississippi State. But, you know, there was not a true freshman starting the season for Mississippi State. Yeah, well, it, it's new for most teams. Most teams yeah, don't do that. So, you know, if you, if you look at uh, quarterbacks who were similarly ranked to Emory Jones coming out of school uh, or coming out of high school, there were 37 of them from 2007 to 2017. Only 41% of them saw any time at all that, you know, so 15 of the 37 saw time um, in their true freshman year and only seven of them threw more than 100 attempts. So really, you're looking at 18% of those quarterbacks are actually throwing more than so meaningful time, right? You got guys who went eight of 11 or something like that. But you know, there were only a few who went 155 out of 250. And, and so um, I don't know that so historically, those guys don't typically play their true freshman season. And there's a reason for that, because they don't typically play that well. And a lot of times there's somebody in front of them and, and it takes a couple of years. I know we had Jaquez Green on last year on the podcast and he was saying that he doesn't think people really start to get it 
until their junior or senior year as quarterbacks, and he wished that more quarterbacks had time to develop. And obviously that timeline has been moved up and there's more coaching at the high school level and things like that. But I do think that's true. That it, and, and I think it bears itself out in some of the statistics that, that starting a true freshman quarterback is, is not something most people do. And when they do, it's not always overly successful. Yeah, well, I was going to let you dive into your article, and that's pretty much you know what you just brought up here. Your you know your latest article uh, dives into even more quarterback talk, and uh, you know it was titled uh, "What the First Three Games of 2018 Will Tell Us About New Gators Quarterback Emory Jones," and uh, it asked the question: How often do quarterbacks rated as high as Jones typically step in to make an immediate impact? And, you know, as you just uh, let our uh, listeners know, it's not often. But if you go back last week, you know, we also discussed just how little true freshmen have made impacts in transition class just as in, just in general. And, you, you know, your research also backed that up in regards to the quarterback position uh, all around the country. Yeah, you, it's difficult to be a true freshman who comes in and makes an impact, which is why we harp so much on five-star recruits, because those usually are the guys who come in and make an impact. I mean, if you look at Alabama last year, you know, Tua Tagovailoa, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher the name. So Tua had some issue or, you know, came in as a five-star and got a lot of playing time. Um, you, Leatherwood, the left tackle, got playing time, a five-star guy for Alabama. Fromm was a very, very high-ranked four-star on the 24-7 composite. So the guys who were coming in and really making contributions were like top 30 ranked players. And Florida doesn't have anybody like that coming in. And Emory Jones is ranked 85th overall nationally, a very good player. But when you look historically at those guys, not all of them make a contribution. I mean, if, if you look at, you know, 21% or 22% of the guys never make more than 100 out of the out of the 37 from 2007 to 2017, 22% of them didn't ever throw more than 100 pass attempts. So there's a one in five shot that Emory Jones never throws more than 100 passes for Florida. And and that's that's the reality. So now that does mean there's an 80% chance he does throw more than 100 passes for Florida. But still, there guys are all over the map in terms of how effective they are in their time. And you've got guys like, you know, Jake Browning, who are really, really good. DeAndre Francois, who was really, really good. But you've got guys like Franks. You've got guys like Jarrett Guarantano. You've got guys like Gerard Hurd at Texas, Brandon Harris at LSU. Um, you know, so guys that we would say, you know, that's, that's not what I'm looking for out of a top-ranked recruit. And I think it goes back to what we've talked about in recruiting, that these guys are really – that you want to fill your roster with four- and five-stars and blue-chip guys because about half of them pan out. And so if you recruit four top 100 quarterbacks over the course of a four-year period, you're going to get one or two of those guys to pan out. If you rest on your laurels after getting one, that just may not, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure if you don't bring in guys year after year after year. And heck, we're seeing that right now. If you follow social media or the recruiting sites, it seems like the last few days there's a new quarterback offer <laughs> going out there for, from from the Gators. So you're right that they're not resting on their laurels and they're, and they're want to go get another quarterback for next year. And look, that's you know, what you know. McElwain didn't get one his first year, and it, it come back to bite him. And I think Mullen, you know, it looks like he understands that. Uh, you know, most people believe in the uh, in the in the adage you recruit a quarterback every year. Well, I think you absolutely have to. In fact, I think if we look historically, the fact that Muschamp brought in both Driscoll and Brissett in the same year really set Florida back. And you'd say, hey, you want as much talent as you can get, but you brought in Driscoll, you brought in Brissett. They were fighting for the job. The minute Driscoll wins the job, well, now Brissett's transferring. But that year after they brought in those two, mm -hmm. no one else was coming because they didn't want to get into the same competition. And so and Driscoll, you know, and Driscoll gets hurt and Tyler Murphy's your quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean Murphy actually played pretty admirably. He wasn't bad. Yeah. But the, but then you end up with Morhenwig in there when Murphy gets hurt and you just you don't have the depth that you need. Now, some programs like Georgia and Alabama keep convincing guys to come even though they have a stacked depth chart, but that's not what traditionally has happened um in in these cases. And you know, again, it, there's there's an there's a possibility that that Emory Jones is not going to be a transcendent player, but there's a possibility he will, and I and I go into that in the article as well. That there are guys, you know, AJ McCarron was rated very similarly to to Emory Jones, Teddy Bridgewater, Geno Smith, and I think that's sort of been clouded by the fact that he struggled so much with the Jets. But Geno Smith was a damn good quarterback at West Virginia. Jake Browning makes the list, and he's not even graduated yet, yeah. <laughs> and he's and he's put up really really good numbers. And even guys like um, Brent Renner for North Carolina, Brett Hunt 
Finley for UCLA and Tyler Bray at Tennessee. These are guys who played early. They put up pretty good numbers early. They, they, what they really showed was they were accurate very early on. And in fact, if you go back and you look at their first three games, and this is where the title of the article came from, the first three games, McCarron completed 64% of his passes, Browning completed 66, Hundley completed 67, Bridgewater completed 64, um, Renner completed 72, and and Geno Smith um, completed 63%. And so you can tell after the first three games whether a guy's accurate or not. And that's my big concern with, with Emory Jones is that he ran... His accuracy in high school was lower than you would like to see. It wasn't terrible, um, but it's not up in that 70% range It's it, or even in the 68 range. It was 61.8, so 62. So he's probably and, – and he averaged 13.3 yards per attempt, so throwing it down the field quite a bit. He did a lot of throwing on the run, which I think probably takes away from his accuracy somewhat. And so it's going to be really interesting to see whether in a Mullen offense where he's making quick reads, whether he's able to increase that completion percentage because completion percentage translates to moving the ball. It translates to winning. It translates to explosive offense. So, Will, let's wish and, and let's dream a little bit. <laughs> you know, what, what makes a great – quarterback in a, under Mullen and we got two quarterbacks of course that we can look at and the stats are eerily comparable when you really look at it and a lot of it has to do with the quarterback's ability to run uh and the key stat here for me is Tim Tebow's 2007 season compared to Prescott's 2014 season and how eerily similar their numbers are in 2007 Tim Tebow led the team in carries 210 carries 16 attempts a game for 895 yards. So he averaged 4.3 yards an attempt with a total of 55 touchdowns. So 210 carries, 16 attempts a game. Dak Prescott, 2014, 210 carries, 16 attempts a game, 986 yards, 4.7 yards per attempt, and a total of 42 touchdowns. Uh, So the passing stats also very similar. Tebow, 234 completions. Prescott, 244 completions. Tebow completion percentage, 67%. Dak Prescott, 62%. Uh, Tebow had 3,286 yards passing. Prescott with just a bit more, 3,449 yards passing. Now, Tim Tebow did have one more game, um, you know, playing in the SEC championship game, uh, and also, you know, his two years at you know, uh uh, or you know seven eight nine or eight nine he got to play uh, in the SEC championship game but that 2007 season uh, when he didn't um, you know those very those stats were were very comparable uh, from from Tebow uh, and Prescott so look, I know I'm getting you know getting picky there with the stats you know but looking at the two best quarterbacks Mullen has had and how comparable their stats are uh, it's pretty easy to see some of the key stats here and what is expected to be one of the best quarterbacks in the nation under Dan Mullen. Uh, how close their stats are in rushing the ball is really telling, and it was even pretty close the next season uh, with Tebow having 176 attempts for 673 yards and Prescott having 160 attempts for 588 yards. Uh, Tebow did have, like I said, one more game that year because of playing in the SEC Championship game in 2008, uh, but one game doesn't really deter and what you see and what kind of play you saw from Mullen's best quarterback. So you know, going back and looking at it, that 07 season for Tebow and that 2014 season uh, for, uh, for Prescott, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Both had 210 carries, both 16 attempts a game. Uh, you know, you can, you know, when you look at the, of course, we see, said it before, the prototype quarterback under Dan Mullen. But I don't know if Florida will get that guy again uh, and that type of guy, but, if they, if they do, you can look at those stats, and that's the type of stats you'll see from a successful quarterback under Dan Mullen. Yeah, you know, I, I think there are a couple of things you can look at there that are, that are telling. One is that um, in 2017, 2017, or 2007, Tebow completed 66.9% of his passes, but he averaged 9.4 yards per attempt. So they were going down the field. 
And if you look at Prescott in his big year in 2014, he had he had he had a 61.6 completion percentage, so a little bit lower, but an 8.7 yards per attempt. And so they not only were they completing a fairly high percentage of their passes, but they were doing it down the field. So that's where the efficiency comes in. Is that you know when you're completing your passes for nine yards a clip, you're getting a lot of first downs and you're getting a lot of big plays. And big plays are where the points come from. So if you look at Florida over the last few years, those just haven't been there. You have not seen those sorts of big plays from the Gators, and that's reflected in, you know, um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but you think about Luke Del Rio, you're not getting a ton of mm-hmm. big plays from him. So Felipe Franks averaged 6.3 yards per attempt. Malik Zaire averaged 6.2. Luke Del Rio averaged 5.5. And Kadarius Tony threw two balls and averaged 25. <laughs> but, <laughs> but basically the three main quarterbacks did not average, didn't, average a high enough yards per attempt and they didn't complete the ball at that high a clip either. So Franks had 54% of his passes were completed and 6.3 yards per attempt. It's just not good enough, especially if you're not going to run. So part of the running, I think opens up the offense, but also just the idea that when you're throwing the ball, you're going downfield and you're going for the jugular. And I think that's really what you're going to see with Mullen. It, you know, I wrote an article a couple of months ago, looking at Mullen's offense and the whole goal was to get the ball to the outside. Like, and in fact, when he got in the red zone, that was when he spread. So he would go to five wide in the red zone and then the quarterback could run, the running back could run, or he had one-on-one coverage with the wide receivers that he had out there. Um, and then when you looked at, when you looked at him, you know, in between the twenties, it was actually much more closed in, but he was, but his goal was to get the running backs. And at the time he had Rainey and Demps and those sorts of, and Harvin and those guys, and his goal was to get him to the outside. So I think that's the kind of thing you'll see with Justin Watkins. I think that's the kind of thing that you'll see perhaps with Malik Davis is trying to get those guys to the outside and then taking shots down the middle of the field with the quarterback. You know, go back and look at it too, uh, as well. Like I said, the st- stats were really similar. And in a way, I think it says more about Prescott and putting up those type of numbers as Tebow because he wasn't the highly rated quarterback coming out of high school and he wasn't surrounded by, you know, other four and five star players. So while the numbers are similar, I think it can be looked at in, in different ways. Tebow, for as great as he was, you could say, you know, he did get elevated by the players around him like Percy Harvin, Andre Caldwell, and Cornelius Ingram in 2007. Prescott did have players like Fred Ross and Darunia Wilson, uh, but the talent around both players are not even close to comparable. And that's not to say Tebow didn't elevate the players around him as well. You know, he was the linchpin in that offense, working so well and, and converting short yardage and red zone scores. But you know, this shows to me that Mullen can do it in both ways. He can take the high-level talent, mold it into something dominant, or he can find a special quarterback and let that be the centerpiece of the offense and make everyone else a better and elevate their play. So you know, his last year at Mississippi State, though. You know, might show an evolution uh, of sorts uh, when he has a talent at both quarterback and running back positions. Because you know, the past season, the um, uh, Mississippi State, uh, Eris Williams, two hundred thirty-six carries, uh, and you know, re- led the team by far uh, with two hundred thirty-six carries, and that's at the running back position. Uh, and you know, uh, Hill Gibson, uh, you know, they uh, seventy-eight carries for Hill Gibson for forty-five. Fitzgerald only rushed the ball one hundred sixty-two times, and I only say that. Of only because you know comparing it to Williams and his 236 carries uh you know it this wasn't the quarterback uh, as I mentioned where you saw Prescott and you saw Tim Tebow 210 carries a piece it was the running back this past year at Mississippi State who had uh who led the team in carries so uh, what it does show is uh, I, I think you know if Mullen wants to protect his quarterbacks from injury and he has he look he's never had a stable of running backs that he is walking to walking into at Florida right now. He didn't have it when he was offensive coordinator at Florida, and he definitely never had that uh, the, the stable back and that talented of backs at Mississippi State. So it just lets me know how you know, how, how Mullen can really just change and adapt to the personnel he has on the field. Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things there. One is that Dak Prescott, you mentioned being a, a relatively low-rated recruit, but if you look at his high school stats, 61% or 61.6% completion percentage, 11.1 yards per attempt. If you look at Emory Jones, 61.8% completion percentage and 13.3 yards per attempt. So really, it's pretty favorable in terms Mm -hmm. of his comparison between Prescott and Emory Jones. Now, the problem is when you look at 
when you look at 2013 for Mississippi State, Prescott only completed 58% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, a QB rating of 126.6. That's what I think you probably see if you start if you start uh, Emory Jones right away. Like That's what you're going to get is you're going to get a guy who can run and you're going to get a guy who's inconsistent in the pass. Um, but, you know, Mullen's got a stable of running backs. And like you said, he has shown the ability to adjust. He has shown the ability to put his quarterbacks in a position that at least allows them an opportunity to win. And, you know, Fitzgerald has not been a world beater throwing the ball the last couple of years, but the offense has moved the ball. Certainly has moved the ball more than Nussbier and McIlwain's offenses did the past three years. And so I think that's what we'll see as well. I, th- I think that regardless of who's in at quarterback, the running backs are going to be used extensively to, to offset any shortcomings that there might be in the passing game. Yeah, you know, and of course, you know, Tebow or Mullen doesn't have a Tebow Prescott or even a Fitzgerald on the quarterback depth chart right now that we know of. You know, for 2018, looking at the the quarterback depth chart, we can't say any of these guys are going to be as good as those three. Definitely Tebow and Prescott uh, right now. So, you know, just wait and see uh, if Mullen can develop Emory Jones, Felipe Franks, you know, turn him around or one of the other quarterbacks. Uh, into one of those types of uh, quarterbacks, but you know we we won't see it in, in 2018 from from one of these quarterbacks being anywhere even close to that. So, you know I, I think you know, rely on those that that running game uh, with those running backs. But you know I, I still say don't don't be too surprised. And I'll get into it with the poll question here. Don't be too surprised if you know if the right quarterbacks back there to if they're leading the, the charging carries again. Yeah, the only thing I'd say to that is that I would have said the exact same thing coming into Tebow's first year. Um, you know, he had done a little bit of mop-up duty in, in 2006, but everybody was questioning his ability to throw the ball. Yeah. Everybody was questioning whether he, you know, as big as he was, could he take the pounding that was, that was necessary in the SEC? And, and he proved everybody wrong because I would say that I would not have predicted the results that he had, um, you know, based on, based on history, uh, based on history. Now at the same time, Tebow was a much, much higher ranked player. I know he's a top 20 ranked nationally, five-star player. That's not what Emory Jones is. Emory Jones is a very, very good player, but he is not rated as a can't-miss prospect. Tebow is rated as a can't-miss prospect. I mean, before he even came to Gainesville, people were writing about how he might be the number one pick in the draft. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, and, and and I don't think it's really fair to compare any of these no, guys right. to Prescott or Tebow. I mean, those are special players. I think Prescott's shown that at Mississippi State, but he's also shown it since he's gone to the Cowboys. And Tebow was just a transcendent player in college, both with his, with his charisma, but also with his ability to get the ball in the right place. So, um, you know... Whoever comes in to play quarterback doesn't need to be Tebow or Prescott for the offense to move the ball. They just have to be Fitzgerald. And, and, being, and the bar of being Fitzgerald, at least from the passing game, is not, is not enormous. And you figure, especially if Grimes and Van Jefferson get waivers and are able to come in and play with the amount of weapons that Florida has on the outside, little screen passes should be able to go for 15 or 20 yards on a fairly consistent basis just because you have the athletes out there to make the play. And that takes pressure off the quarterback as well. So I think having having probably a better supporting cast around the quarterback might make them look better than they are. But at the same time, I think the bar, in order to be much, much better than they were last year, um, that's not a very high bar. <laughs> and so, and so I, you know, I, I'm anticipating the offense will be much, much better, even if the quarterback play isn't exactly where we'd want it um, to be for, you know, for a full-time basis. Right. I mentioned the poll question uh, that I threw up there and it would pertain to all this of what we're talking about. So it was in Mullen's two best statistical seasons as offensive coordinator slash head coach, Tebow led the carries in 07. Prescott led team in carries in 2014. Florida has stacked that running back for 2018. What position would you like to see lead the team in carries and why? Um, so quarterback and running back were the options. And I know some people took it as the running back position as a whole. And I meant, you know, one running back at the position. Uh, but that wasn't too clear. But I don't think it really would have, have affected the results all that much uh, based on the feedback I got. So, so out of 1,226 votes, 89%, no surprise here, voted running back. Uh, now, this could change in the future if Mullen gets a similar quarterback to Tebow or, or Prescott. But with running back being stacked as it is, you know, you hope the running back you know, probably, probably leads the team uh, this year. Uh, the only quarterback capable of doing what, you know, what we expect would be Jones or, or Tony. Uh, and he had to play and start a lot to get those type of stats where he would lead, you know, the team in carries. But it is shown that if you have a quarterback capable 
and then he leads the team in rushing and, and carries, then you're probably getting pretty good results. Sure. I mean, I would say I want the running back, I, specifically Malik Davis. And part of that is because he's coming off of a knee injury and you like to see the guy healthy. But the other reason is, is he averaged 6.7 yards per rush last year behind an offensive line that, let's be honest, did not play all that well. And then you look at somebody like LaMichael P. Ryan playing behind the exact same offensive line who played pretty well, but averaged 4.1 yards per rush. And, and so Malik. And hardly of a threat of a passing game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so they were stacking the box, all that sort of stuff. But with all the struggles on offense, Malik Davis was averaging two and a half yards per carry more than LaMichael Pirine. And Pirine's a fine back, but Davis looked like a special one. And so hopefully he can get that explosion back after the knee injury and all that sort of stuff. But he's the guy. If Malik Davis has a big year, Florida's going to really, really move the ball in offense because if he can get to the second level, he's a guy who can take it to the house. And that's not necessarily something you'd say about Pirine. It's not necessarily something you'd say about Scarlett. Mm -hmm. I think the jury's still out on a Darius Lemons. You know, um, you know, the two Clements and Pierce are, you know, the two running backs coming in um, for the recruits. We don't know. I think the high school film looks good on those guys. But, um, you know, again, there's just nothing proven on the field. Davis proved it on the field in an offense that was pretty inept, that he was a star. And so he's the guy I'd love to see get the most carries this year. Um, and then if you're going to go with quarterback, uh, you know, Jones or Tony, those are the guys that you want. Those are the guys that I would want to have the most, the most carries back there. They're the guys who are electric. They're the guys who are going to be able to make, make people miss. If you've got, if you've got Franks or trash back there, leading lead the quarterbacks and running, um, we've probably had a couple of injuries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And the feedback from there, uh, asked for, uh, you know, some, some answers there for, uh, from our, our listeners there and Bobby Glenn Fender at Rowdy Lizard, uh, his, um, his statement was one quarterback carries versus one running backs carries makes the decision a little harder, but not much with current players and present skill sets. If Dan Mullen is the head coach and we hope he is, he should be able to be successful in more than one way. It does. Um, it does verify that we already know we need a high quality quarterback. Um, uh, at uh, next one from at M Earl three twenty one. from a roster standpoint, I'd rather the running backs run more think the threat of a mobile quarterback is more important than running the quarterback a lot with only a few mobile quarterbacks on the roster. I'd like to see them healthy. So it's a threat all season. Ivan Figueroa. Um, if quarterback has more yards, it means the quarterback ran like crazy because we know for a fact we will have a running back produce good numbers. So I vote quarterback. Uh, it's a good, neat way of looking at it there. Uh, I like that. I like that way of looking at it because, of course, you know the running backs are going to be good, so if the quarterback has more yards than the running backs, then that's probably a pretty successful offense, Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just wonder whether they're going to rotate the guys in at running back because, you know, you want to keep them fresh. You don't want to get guys dinged up over the course of the year, especially when you're playing somebody like Charleston Southern or something like that. You're going to rotate people in, whereas, again, the quarterback is going to need to get as many reps as he can. But um, – I actually like that a lot. I, I like that sentiment a lot that the running backs are going to get their yards. So if the quarterback is ripping off more than the running back, then the offense is really humming. Right. Uh, a couple more here at San Diego Padres podcast. Our, our quarterback options are a true, true freshman and a guy who fumbled multiple times last year without even being hit. I would rather our top running back and starting quarterback just about have an even number of carries. The running back by committee will mean no running back will have a big load, and hopefully Emory is our guy at quarterback, and he can move pretty much what you were saying there, Will. And then Matthew Nettles at push to pace 74. Don't possess that skill set, in my opinion, unless Kadarius Tony is converted to quarterback. There you go, Will. However, I do believe we have enough depth at running back, and that position should lead in carry. So, guys out there, thanks for all the – all the uh, interaction uh, with the poll question and uh, will, like I said, that uh, you know, I you know, tried to choose some questions that were uh, all over the place, but you know, some uh, agree with our sentiment of, of Kadarius Tony. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just glad to be talking about football again, man. So, yeah, so exactly. to be actually talking about football decisions and not who's coming and who's not coming is great. And you know, I, I think there are there are certainly legitimate concerns about somebody like Tony. He clearly is small. He's, you know, Bill's pointed out he's not as tall as most of the guys who typically come into the SEC. Um, separated his shoulder last year. That's a concern as well. So it's not 
not as if there aren't concerns, but they're concerns with everyone. And so, you know, I really just hope that they give guys the opportunity to prove what they can do um, in camp. And like you said, I'm not sure the offense last year fit any of the quarterbacks, really. <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see what happens, whether Michigan's offense takes a nosedive this year. But uh, <laughs> we can certainly hope to see if, to see if it does. That'll sort of say something about our talent level, I think. Um, but uh you know, we're going to know pretty early on. Like I said, after three games, you're going to know completion percentage. How's the quarterback doing? Um, we're going to see a lot in terms of what Mullen thinks he's got back there. And to be honest, regardless of who's playing, if the quarterback is running a lot, I think you could be pretty confident that Mullen thinks he's got more than one guy who can play because he's going to protect the quarterback if he doesn't think that he can sustain an injury. And so whether the, if the quarterback's running a lot, I think that says something about the depth that Mullen thinks he has. Yeah, and, and I've always subscribed to the theory, don't be afraid to run your quarterback if that's what you do because don't coach scared, don't coach, you know, because of injuries. Uh, so, uh, But I do get the sentiment if you need, think you need to protect the quarterback. But my thing is injuries happen. If it happens, it happens. Uh, you know, not much you can do about it. Uh, but I guess, you know, you can protect uh, uh, somewhat. Uh, but, you know, if, if Mullen, I, I do agree with that. If Mullen wants to run the quarterbacks and he's doing it a lot, then he, he probably feels – uh, pretty pretty confident in that, and it'd be interesting to see also the time and place of being able to run those uh, those quarterbacks. Of course, he had the the, the luxury of bringing Tim Tebow off the bench uh, in two thousand six. I didn't have that luxury in two thousand five, uh, and, you, and you saw the I think the bye week before the Georgia game, you saw him implement Billy Latsko and get creative in implementing the fullback there. Uh, but in two thousand six, we saw early on in the season of what Tim Tebow could do and, you know, and saving the game when they went to Tennessee and, um, you know, later in the season when he kept converting third and fourth down conversions uh, for the Gators. So, um, as, yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see how, how Mullis shuffles uh, the quarterbacks. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that in 2005 they didn't have anybody to do that because Josh Portis ran the ball 29 times in 2005 for Florida. So they, you know, he was he was the freshman recruit, the big recruit that Urban Meyer brought in in that first uh, in that first go round, and then they let Portis run a little bit. Now, you know, five of those rushes were against Wyoming, five were against Louisiana Tech, um, you know, eight against Kentucky, three against Alabama, five against Mississippi State, and three against Vanderbilt. It's not as if he was running wild or anything like that, but they did bring Portis in, and they did give him some time back there to run the ball a little bit. Obviously, Tebow's a special player, and all of the other players had gotten the ability to get comfortable in the spread offense that that Meyer and Mullen were running, and I think you saw that in 2006. So um, so I'm, an, I'm anticipating that that Jones is going to get in the game. I'm anticipating he's going to run quite a bit. It'll be interesting to see whether he starts. Because, again, there's not a Chris Leak. There's not a proven guy in there. Um, and there was in 2005. And they would have been idiots to say, oh, well, we're going to start Portis just because he's a dual-threat quarterback and Leak is not. You know, you got to work around that guy. And, you know, you mentioned uh, – you mentioned Tyler Russell, and and you mentioned you know the guys that they had to make adjustments for at Mississippi State, and I think they're going to have to do the same, th or you know they did the same thing with Leak, and I think they'll do the same thing this year. I'm just not sure that they have to make as many adjustments because I think the guys they're going to be choosing from will have at least some ability to run the ball. Absolutely, I agree with that. Oh, well, I think we can. Man, we we, we lasted longer on quarterbacks than I ever thought we would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you can't shut me up, Dave. You can't shut me up. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we had a couple of things and then I'll just, uh, we'll scratch one of those, but, uh, going forward and, uh, something that caught my eye last week, of course, uh, ESPN finally released their FPI, uh, football power index and kind of how their, uh, their way they use data and, and come up with their rankings. And look, uh, they gave, uh, Florida a little bit of praise here. Um, they, they were, they, they singled out Florida as maybe the most improved team, uh, for 2018, and uh, they went on to say no team in uh, FPI's top 25 improved its ranking from the end of last season to the preseason more than Florida, which bumped up 28 spots to number 22. Florida is bringing back 19 starters and has had four-year recruiting ranks in the teens. The Gators are also bringing back Felipe Franks at quarterback, though after last season, Florida fans are probably hoping that new head coach Dan Mullen finds another option to start instead. ESPN had Florida's offense ranked 31st in the FBI and defense ranked 16th. Uh, Will, I was kind of surprised they ranked Florida's offense uh, as high as 31st, even when they kind of threw through the subtle 
a shot there at Felipe Franks. Um, even that's probably, I don't know how much credit and what their data says, you know, if they're given credit to Dan Mullen there of being able to, to improve the offense, uh, the defense being ranked 16th, maybe a little, you know, a little high as well, uh, for the Gator defense. Uh, but you know, ESPN, um, you know, and the way they use their metrics, uh, has Florida, you know, bumped up 28 spots to number 22 in their FPI. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think the FPI ranking is actually pretty, pretty accurate. I don't really agree with how they got there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I think I think the it's interesting. So I, I've done a lot of work where I've com- compared national recruiting rankings versus ESPN's FPI, and what you see is when when there's a major difference between the recruiting rankings. So when you're bringing in much better recruits than your actual football power index ends up at the end of the year over three and four year periods so that, you know, sort of anomalies can average out. If there's a really big difference there, that's on the coach. So if you look at Zook, he averaged a 5.3 national recruiting ranking in his time at Florida. The ESPN and FPI was 24.7. And I did have to include a coach's poll in there because the FPI didn't go back to 2002, (laughs) but that's all, that's a 19.4 unit gap between his recruiting ranking and his FPI. Urban Meyer, 4.7 was his recruiting ranking. The ESPN FPI was 7.5. So a 2.8 unit gap. You look at Muschamp, his gap was 17 and a half. And McIlwain, if you count all of last year, his gap was 19.0. So really, when you look at it, the reason Meyer won was not just because he was bringing in talent. It was because his coaching was commensurate with the talent he was bringing in. And if you look at Dan Mullen from 2009 to 2017, the national recruiting ranking at Mississippi State was 26.8, and his ESPN FPI was 30.6. So that difference is 3.8. So Myers is 2.8, Mullins is 3.8, and his nine years as a head coach. And now you've got him coming into Florida, where Florida's had these top top 10, top 11 classes. So I think the last four are you know, 21st, 12th, 11th, and now 14th this year. And that's really where I think you should expect Florida to be is somewhere in there. Now, you know, Frank's, um, you know, or the offense, I think maybe drags that down a little bit. And I'll tell you what, if Florida ends up with the 30th ranked offense this year, um, <laughs> they, they're going to be going to a, uh, to a high, high, high level bowl because historically that kind of offensive improvement is not seen from one year to the next right. it happens every once in a while, but it's really rare. And so, you know, I'd expect them probably to be somewhere in the 60 to 70 range from an offensive perspective. If you're talking about points per game um, and, and, you know, the defense will probably be a little bit better, but the defense I think was sort of middle of the pack. Um, but the talent level at Florida, irrespective of what you think about McElwain's recruiting, the talent level is top 15. Mm-hmm. And if Mullen is as good a coach as he showed at Mississippi State, the team ought to be about a top 15 team. Now, you know, depending on schedule, depending upon all those sorts of things, is going to determine where they end up in the top 25. But yeah, I think it makes sense that they would have that FPI ranking based on Mullen's track, his, based on Mullen's history, and then based on Florida's recruiting over the last four years. Yeah, I think, and even for comparison, Mullen's old team, Mississippi State, ranked 16th in the FBI, six spots ahead of Florida. Their offense ranks 19th, and their defense one spot ahead of Florida's at 15th. So, you know, kind of compare and what Dan Mullen's leaving, what he left behind at Mississippi State. Most of those are, you know, they're still his players. You know, not many true freshmen are going to be making an impact at Mississippi State either. Uh, and you know, he's leaving um, a highly thought of Mississippi State team. Uh, according to you know a lot of preseason uh, early polls that we saw, and now this uh, recent most recent ESPN FPI. So, looking at that, you know, you're right. You're right, Will. You know, and you know, you're looking at the how ESPN comes about that, and and what they're looking at, and you know, the gap. I mean, Mississippi State and 16th in their FPI. You just mentioned Mullen's average recruiting was what at Mississippi State. Well, his average recruiting over the years that he was there was 26.8. Yeah, and I don't Um, think it changed too much. And they're going to start this season 16th in the FPI. Well, and that, again, I think is a little bit aggressive because if you look at the last four years for Mississippi State in 2015, they had an 18th-ranked recruiting class, 28th in 2016, 24th in 2017, and then 27th in, uh, in 2018. So... What that really says is if they're going to be 16th, so that's 24.2. 
is is the average over those four years. So if you think that they're going to be 16th in the FPI, then really what you're banking on is that the new coach who comes in is going to be a better coach than Mullen. That's what you're banking on. And so, you know, is he going to be? Maybe. But I think that's an awful lot to ask of somebody coming in <laughs> based on the history that we've seen with Mullen. I mean, you know, when your recruiting ranking matches your FBI, I mean, Saban is like this. Debo Swinney is like this. Guys who, Urban Meyer is like this. All the guys who are high-level coaches have FPIs that match their national recruiting rankings. It's really hard when you're Saban because he gets first every year in recruiting. <laughs> so, so, but, uh, you know, but it's like a two or three unit difference for him. I mean, Alabama's averaged like two and a half or something like that in the FBI over the last four years. So, um, so I think that's aggressive for Mississippi State. I think it's probably a fair FPI ranking for Florida. And I'll be honest, I think if Florida finishes outside of the AP top 25, I'm going to be disappointed in the season. I think they have the talent to be a top 25 team, and I think that that to me is an expectation I have. Yeah, and the schedule is manageable. And you know, we'll break that down to uh, coming up uh, in in episodes coming up. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. That, you know, we've as much as we've slammed Jim McElwain's recruiting, we've we what we called it was it was non-elite. It's still, you know, like you said, top 15 talent. There's still enough to, to win much more than what he won the, 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 the four games last year. Uh, so, you know, we'll see uh, how, how all that plays out. But there, there's enough talent for Damalina to come in here and, and make some noise, uh, I think, in the SEC. Yeah, well, so we slammed his recruiting because it wasn't as good as his predecessors. Yeah. And so you looked at the three people who were there before him and just said, why is this not measuring up? Um, you know, now you could make some arguments that that you know when he took over there were only six offensive linemen and and that there was an imbalance and all sorts of stuff and that he sort of brought that back into balance. Um, but you can also definitively make an argument that the number of blue chips that he brought in were less, that the number of five stars that he brought in were less, um, and, and that and that there was a little bit of a drop off. And that doesn't mean that Florida's talent level is terrible. It just means that it is not at the level of Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State. And in order to compete with those guys on a year-to-year basis, you're going to have to bring in those types of guys um, because you're in the same conference as them. So you can't have a year – you either need a quarterback to drag you through – or you need to be in a conference where you can maybe have a little bit of a down year and still make it through. And that's kind of what we saw last year with Clemson. I mean, Clemson lost to Sean Watson and was still able to make it through to the playoff in many cases, or in, you know, in my opinion, because the conference was down. I mean, Florida State really struggled. Virginia Tech was good, but not great. Um, so was there another elite team in the ACC that was going to stand in their way? I think if you put Clemson in the SEC, there's no way they make it to the playoff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was pretty. I like. Yeah, I like that. Well, that was. And and, and Bill, our our other co-host, has mentioned. You know, when we talk about recruiting and how 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 you should finish. Yes, it's high in the national ranking, but also where you finish in relation to your conference. So, so Florida. Yep, number twenty-two in the ESPN's FPI there. So, well, that was a that was a jam-packed episode that went by pretty quick. Hey man, you, you just can't shut me up. It's an hour. It's an it's an hour, regardless of whether you want it to be, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I, had no, I had no problem with it. No, no. <laughs> now it's always fun talking Gator yeah. football. Uh, you know, certainly everybody, thank you for for chiming in and, and interfacing with us on Twitter. We love it, and and uh, you know, like I said, it's just great to be talking about football again. I look forward to doing that over the next the next couple of months and getting everybody ready for the spring game. Yep. Uh, well, what you got coming up? I know you just re- released an article on Emory Jones on Reading Reaction, and you also have uh, it was your first uh, mailbag segment. Yeah, or, so I had a, uh, I, a mailbag article. On the- yeah, so I had a bunch of people submit submit questions and went and answered them. Sort of in a tried to answer them in my typical voice, where I went and looked at the stats and, and did that, but they were a little bit more quick hitting. Um, a few of those questions I'm going to take and bust out into longer articles. That's actually where the Emory Jones article came from today is people were asking what to expect from him in, in year one. And so it was like, all right, let's go back and look guys who are ranked like him. How are they, how are they doing? So, um, there'll be some stuff on Tony, I'm sure coming up soon. Um, and then, uh, and then I think probably some stuff on what you can expect from the actual offense. So, you know, we talked about um, sort of in generalities, what can we expect to see from Mullen's offense? But really, what has he done historically to improve offenses? What can we expect in year one? And what happens nationally when you have an offense that's as bad as it is? And then you get rid of a head coach and you get rid of an offensive coordinator because, you know, oh. Nussmeyer 
did not have a good offense at Michigan, came to Florida and didn't have a good offense at Florida for three straight years. Some, maybe ESPN's right. Maybe they'll have the 30th ranked offense <laughs> <laughs> addition by subtraction. So, uh, so anyway, I'm going to take a look at that and, uh, and, and hopefully people are interested. Good deal. And as I, as I mentioned, we, we brought it up on the uh, podcast last week, but uh, I, I'm going to keep it going. If you've seen the hashtag pack the swamp and that means uh, for the spring game, uh, Gator fans was packed the swamp for Dan Mullen's first spring game. As I said, he mentioned it in uh, his uh, post signing day uh, press conference. He wants fans out there for the spring game. So you'll see my interaction on Twitter with a lot of the the hashtag pack the swamp and you know, all the Gator fans. If you can uh, go down to Gainesville, uh, hey, look, practices will be open too, uh, March 16th and 17th, I believe. So the first two uh, spring practices will be open uh, for Dan Mullen. And also, Dan Mullen will be here in Jacksonville next Monday. It's coming up. Uh, um, it's Wednesday, February 21st. So, uh, yeah, that's when we recorded this. So just coming up Monday, Dan Mullen will be at, uh, Everbank field, uh, and doing a little, uh, you know, a little tour, uh, I believe it's Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando. Uh, so I'll go ahead to that will, uh, and check out what Dan Mullen's got to say. It should be a good time. I think Bill's going to go, uh, as well. So we'll either have like a periscope or I'll do like a mini, mini episode, uh, podcast episode, kind of give my thoughts of, uh, uh Dan, you know, being there in person uh, with Dan Mullen's, uh, I guess little, uh, pre pre spring or pre spring tour. Well, so you're going to have to bring a Sharpie. What are you going to charge for people to get your autograph? Dave? Oh, oh, you got One. you and Bill in the same building, man. Yeah. Uh, what I wouldn't pay for a T-shirt with your autograph, Bill's <laughs> autograph, and Mullen's autograph. I mean, it's like the perfect storm. One million dollars. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that should be a good time. Uh, I look forward to it. Uh, yeah, I think it was called uh, for friends of the program uh, and boosters and alumni and all that good stuff. So it should be a good time here in Jacksonville. Uh, well, I can't make it. So if you, if anybody else is there, make sure you heckle Dave for me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if they'll let us periscope it too, I may uh, just hold the phone and, and uh, but I don't know if they'll allow that or not. So <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not promising anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill's the periscoper, right? He, he had, uh, he had all the announcements during That's the early, right. during the early signing period. So, uh, so I'm expecting good stuff from you guys. Yeah. I'll be looking forward to it. So like, like I said, I'll, be, I'll either probably, you know, periscope right after it right outside the stadium or, or something like that. Uh, kind of get, get the thoughts of uh, Dan Mullen coming here in Jacksonville and uh, talking uh, some Gators football right before spring practice starts. So, Will, anything else? No, man, just uh, go Gators, beat FSU. There we go. We'll, we'll keep that hashtag going, too, for a while. <laughs> Uh, you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. And as we mentioned, his articles at readandreaction.com. You can find our other co host, Bill Sykes, S I K E S. You can find him on Twitter at Real B Sykes. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And remember, you can find all the uh, Gators Breakdown episodes on newsforjacks.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, all those sites out there to get your game to break down the fix. So guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gator Breakdown.